folks, Dr. Travis McMacken here. Welcome or welcome back, as the case may be. Thank you for choosing to spend a bit of your day with me. I hope that I can at least help you to think some interesting thoughts. I'll be back with you in a moment after the music ends. Hello, and welcome back to the McCrackencast. I'm Dr. Travis McMacken, with you once again, and today I'm joined by a couple of special guests. The first guest joining us today is Dr. Ash Coxworth. Ash is Senior Lecturer in Theology and Practice at the University of Roehampton in the United Kingdom. And the reason that Ash is joining us today is to talk about the volume that he and I have recently published as co-editors entitled Karl Barth, Spiritual Writings. This is a volume in the Paulist Press Classics of Western Spirituality series, and we're very excited about it. We're also joined by Kate Hanch, who is a friend of mine here in St. Charles, Missouri, and a pastor and a PhD graduate from Garrett Evangelical Theological Seminary. And so, Kate, before we get talking about this um, Karl Barth Spiritual Writings book, do you want to plug your own dissertation and book project here quick so folks know what they can expect from you in the near future? Sure, because it's very much different than yours. Um, so my dissertation was on a feminist prophetic humility, which put medieval women in conversation with 19th century Black women preachers. And uh, then my book, Storied Witness, The Theology of 19th Century Black Women Preachers, is coming out with Fortress Press in October. And it looks at the theologies of Zilpha Elah, Julia Foote, and Sojourner Truth, all 19th century Black women preachers who preached in uh, the United States and England. So very different, but I've used a lot of the Paulus Press um, spirituality series and spiritual writing series. So I'm really excited to talk to y'all about this project. Well, hey, I kind of wish, okay, I, we kind of wish we were talking about your book rather than uh, this book. <laughs> we can sounds, do that next. hugely interesting. Yeah, great stuff. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. It is, um, it, it will be my first book. So it is terrifying, as you all know, or maybe you don't. So uh, yeah, I think we can relate, right? Yeah, yeah I know. I know. <laughs> well, uh, that gives folks who might be listening the opportunity to read all of our, about Barth's spiritual writings between now and October when your book comes out and then switch over uh, to read uh, that storied witness volume that you're putting together for us. So we're all looking forward to that. And thank you, Kate, for being here to ask Ash and I some questions about this book and, and join us for a bit of a conversation about Karl Barth's spiritual writing. So I'm just going to hand things over to you at this point and let's have a conversation. Wonderful. Well, my first question is when you think of Bart, you don't think of spirituality. And so how did this project begin? And like, why did you see a need for this project? Ash, I'm going to, I'm going to look at you on that one. Okay. How, how did this get started? Cause it started before me. It started before you. Yeah. So um, I think the real springboard for this was uh, some of the work that I was doing for my doctorate. So I was looking at Bart's um, Theology of Prayer, and that was published with Bloomsbury in 2015. And Travis, I think that you reviewed that book back in the day, didn't you? I did. Yeah, and I'd um, been reading Travis's work, and um, it, it was, was really intrigued by Travis's reading of Bart's Theology of Baptism. 
And as soon as I read that book, actually, I think I might have emailed you as a doctoral student and asked to see a copy, a cheeky copy of your dissertation before it was published. You did. I um, actually went back and tracked the emails. So I will tell that whole story, but but oh, continue right, with gosh. your narrative. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't think my emails go back that far. So that will be a, a trip down memory lane for me. Um, so uh, from then on, I was like, oh, I'd quite like to do a project with Travis. Um, this would be quite fun to work with him. Uh, especially because it seemed that we're into um, kind of neglected areas of Bart's theology um, and um, baptisms, one of them, prayers, another, but nevertheless, they're neglected, but still kind of pinpointable bits of the dogmatics. You can turn to the dogmatics and think, oh, that's where he's doing his uh, I like that. I like the idea of neglected bits of Bart's dogmatics. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe that's another book project we do. Maybe, but I think this this book kind of fits within it because it's not only neglected it's also complexly hidden and there's this line that Stephen Sykes has in one of his articles that we kind of play around with in the introduction to the book that it would be what's the line Travis is something like it's, it's a straight something like it's a strange thing to think of Bart as a spiritual mm -hmm. writer and the overall aim of the volume really is to make that claim feel a little bit less strange to think that it might not be so odd to think of Bart as a, a spiritual writer um, and we felt, you know, where's the best place to do that sort of work? And the classics of Western spirituality, in my mind, is the series, right? Um, yeah. It's been going since, like, a long time ago. <laughs> 1978, <laughs> uh, I think. 1978, yeah. Was that the first one? It was. Oh, uh, uh, right, that's interesting, because that's also, that's one of the first ones that I got, actually. Um, and I think it still is the best seller um, up until, you know, a couple of years time when 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 the Bart sales outstrip the Julian and Norwich <laughs> one. Obviously. Um, well, that's, but, that's but, yeah. interesting. The first the first one I ever got was the one on Calvin. So you, you want to talk about volumes in the classics of Western spirituality that at first glance you wouldn't necessarily expect to find there. Yes, <laughs> for, yes. for me, from Calvin at the beginning to Bart now, uh, yeah. it's kind of kind of been yeah. my territory. Yeah, so so I think we we felt that if we want to try and do something creative with Bart spirituality and also kind of disseminate that to the broadest possible possible audience, like way beyond the Bart world, um, but into those who have interests more broadly in the classics of Western spirituality, then you know that wouldn't be a bad place to start off. Um, and you know, it's 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 a long tradition that that series you know you've got von Balthasar doing the preface to the origin you know volume it's, and it's that kind of tradition that we're participating in but also asking some questions of too now the thing with that series you know it it generally favors uh kind of pre-modern theologians um and generally uh you know Catherine uh sorry Calvin's the exception but but generally kind of uh, Catholic writers so it was a bit of a tough sale to the when we're writing the proposal uh, that Bart, you know, someone who famously doesn't have much to say about spirituality, might have something to say to uh, a, a, a series on spirituality that's that's generally more Catholic uh, perspective and yes. not really Bart's historical period. So it was a bit of a um, it was a complex process to get the proposal through the system, but we were pleased that Paulus Press uh, took a bit of a risk and took us on. Um, and, you know, a good few years later, I actually can't remember when we started this, Travis, um, got the but, dates. <laughs> but finally is out and we were, you know, thwarted by 
pandemic, financial crisis, even a worldwide paper shortage, which meant that yep. the book was delayed in its, in its publication. So anyway, the, the day is here and it's, it's, it's with us. Well, and luckily for us, Paulist was interested in expanding into more modern authors. So they were willing to entertain this idea of doing BART. And from a public, I was thinking about this from a publisher's perspective. Um, if they wanted to do BART, it would be hard to find a couple of guys better suited to do it than me and Ash, because, you know, I've got the book on baptism. He's got the book on prayer in BART. Um, like Ash said, kind of these hidden areas, these neglected areas of Bart's theology that very much tie in to the tradition of spiritual writings. So um, looking at the, the Bart landscape for folks who would be able to stretch into this area, um, I think we were the right two people at the right time as far as Paulus was concerned. And also we had the added benefit. And I think ultimately this is why Ash asked me to team up with him on this. And this is a direct quote from an email from Ash to me. Uh, that we needed to get a forward by, quote, top Princetonian brass. Did I say that? <laughs> yes, you did, to, to uh, sweeten the pot for the publisher, as it were. And I, we're really thankful that my Dr. Vodder, George Hunsinger, signed on to write a, um, what turned out to be a really nice uh, forward for this. So I think that sealed the deal with Paulus that they would take the risk on this BART project. But um, let me, I've, I've teased about having the dates. I've got the receipts here. Okay, so... Ash, do you remember Matthias Grieb? Yeah, 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 yeah. I Actually, I've just been texting him agent. as well. I've just been texting him. Yeah, oh, so yeah? <laughs> we're still in contact. Yeah. So I defended my dissertation. Matthias reached out to me, said, hey, I've got a friend who's interested in some of your work. I said, give him my email. And here I get, I get an email from Ash. And this was back in 2012. Wow. And so we were we... so young, Travis. We were so young. <laughs> Yeah, we were a lot younger than now. Um, so we exchanged a, a number of emails at that point about, you know, I just finished on baptism. Ash was finishing up on BART and prayer. Um, we were looking at how those two topics intersected in both of our, both of our um, projects. And so had a, had a good conversation at that point. Then didn't, didn't interact for a couple of years. And then Ash's book came out 2015. And I, I ended up getting the chance to review it. So I wrote a book review. And then before I sent it into the publisher, I sent it to Ash. And I said, Ash, take a look at this. Tell me what you think. I've got a week to get it to the publisher. <laughs> <laughs> so Ash took a look at it. And he described my, um, my review and the criticisms that I offered. And here's some more direct quotes. Um, Generous and gentle. <laughs> <laughs> that just sums you up travis i think i don't i know people who would disagree um but also sound and very agreeable <laughs> oh my goodness so we had we had some good correspondence in january of 2016 ash um about <laughs> my review of your book which then came out in june of 2016 and then it was december 1st of 2016 at 1201 p.m my time when I received an email from you saying, hey, <laughs> do you want to get in with me on this, um, this uh, project for Barton Spirituality? And it's funny because you forwarded me correspondence with the publisher later. You had already started the conversation and you replied to the publisher at 1214 the same day. Wow. Saying that you were going to check with some folks to see who might be interested in joining you in the project. So 
you emailed me before you emailed them, which leads me to believe that I was your number one choice. <laughs> That's some pretty smart detective work you've got going on there. I thought so. That is, I thought so. You have receipts. I wow. do. This is this is why I ended up as an associate dean. Honestly, it's I, I always have the receipts. Um, but I asked Ash two questions. Do you remember my two questions? How much you're going to make? You know how much money this is going to bring in? You know, was <laughs> that was it? number three. Yeah. <laughs> my first question is: Was what does spirituality mean in this project? <laughs> and my second question was: Can we do stuff on politics? <laughs> okay, so that's my question that ties in. What for both of you? What is spirituality? You say it in the book. Do you even practice any form of spirituality in your day-to-day -day lives? If so, what does that look like and how does that connect with the project? I, I think the little bit snarky bit of that question was for me, because I am not quote unquote spiritual by inclination it was. Or, or habit. Um, but I think we addressed this question a bit in the, the intro essay, don't we, we do. Ash? The, the way we're using spirituality. How would you yeah. sum that up? Ah, complexly, I think. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, I mean, the big challenge, right, and this is probably, you know, maybe what you're uh, hinting at, is that, you know, Bart doesn't actually really use the word spirituality all that often, which makes writing a book and putting together a book on Bart's spiritual writings quite difficult if it doesn't really feature in his writings. It's not really part of his uh, vocabulary. He's got other words that do the sort of work that you might expect uh, spirituality to do. But he's also not really concerned with some of the classical themes that you might find in other volumes in the classical, you know, tradition and the classics of Western spirituality series. Mm -hmm. um, in fact, you know, whenever he uses the word spirituality, which, you know, you do a search, it's not that often. It's, it's usually because he's got some bad things to say about it, um, which again makes writing a volume and putting together a volume on Bart's spiritual writings quite difficult when there's not many times he references the word and when he does, he's got some things to say about it. Um, so that did require us kind of broadening the definition a little bit and we make a case for such broadening work and we could talk about that. Mm -hmm. um, but that's, um, yeah, that's certainly one of the challenges um, in terms of, you know, what it might look like uh, for Bart. But um, let's try and get at that from a slightly different direction. I think one of the, Travis, I don't know what you make of this, but um, I was, when I first saw the cover to the book, I was a little bit disappointed, right? Um, and if you're not familiar with the cover, it's the kind of, yeah, it's the, uh, old, you know, Travis calls the, the old man Bart image. Um, Grandpa Bart. Bart. Grandpa Bart, yeah, with, has he got a cigar? You no, know, he's got his uh, pipe, he's got yeah. a glass of port or wine or something. And the, 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 the image, you know, could really be on the front of, and probably is on the front of any number of Bart books which are out there. Um, and what I was pitching for initially was a much more kind of uh, trippy Bart, you know, this guy who's, you know, maybe <laughs> captures some of the kind of, um, you know, some of the uh, more uh, like peak experiences of spirituality that you might see on some of the other classics of Western spirituality covers, um, you know, the the ones where, you know, the person might have been doing some mind altering drugs or something or other. And, you know, they've got a, a, a picture of the person uh, looking a little bit spaced out. Um, <laughs> but I, I think, you know, on, on reflection, I think it's probably quite a shrewd decision of the publishers to go with an image of Bart that could be on any other book. 
because it says something about the kind of if we it says something theologically i think about the nature of what bart thinks spirituality is and he's really not into like the peak experience stuff he's really not into like the bizarre the strange the extraordinary the odd um you know the the, the zany sort of stuff he's, he's really just into like everyday ordinary you know quite sometimes boring spirituality you know is is into the old stuff just like praying reading scriptures um you know trying to seek towards a better world and uh, and that's almost the gist of it right travis mm -hmm. um uh so you, you you can read this and 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 not really kind of think that there's anything much remarkable about part spirituality but i think there's some significance in that that's what he's trying to do and i find that personally um i'm warmly attracted to that sort of thing you know because I've, I've done you know a fair bit of work on prayer and, and some people you know will say oh you must be an expert on, on praying and i'm like just just no <laughs> just no i'm yeah. not and you know i think I, what i quite like about that side of bar you know it's it's a very unpious art you know and a very <laughs> unpretentious part and 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 I like that. Do, 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 do you know what I mean? Travis, did you get a similar sort I, of thing? I like that. We've got neglected bits of Bart, and we've got a very unpious Bart in a book on Bart's spiritual writings. Yeah, I think yeah, that's that's, that's a illumin, illuminating way to, to talk about it. I mean, for myself, I've never been attracted to the spiritual tradition of practices and yeah. things like that, but I've always been intensely interested in kind of where the theoretical, theological meets the rubber of the road in how Christians actually live their lives and go through their days and things like that. I've, I've always gotten into theology through the third article, so to speak, just both through my, my own biography and my upbringing. And that's how I like to do theology too. I wrote a book on baptism and uh, warmed my way up systematically from there. So the, what we get in this, this kind of volume, I think, is snapshots of how that happens for Bart and in Bart's thought, how the um, conceptual, the theoretical then touches down and not in the sense of practical theology as a discipline necessarily, but in the real practical application or consequences of how we think about God and how we think about life in the church and so on. So um, I think that's, that's what I was really happy to be able to highlight in this particular volume. And it's really kind of a powerful contribution that I think theology can still make. And I pulled a quote from Terry Eagleton about this that I read years ago um, that has really stuck with me. It's from his book, Reason, Faith, and Revolution, which I used to include in a class that I don't get to teach anymore, but I still talk about this quote whenever I can. And in it, and you know, he's not himself a particularly religious or spiritual guy. In fact, probably the opposite, but he's He's an appreciative observer, so to speak. And what he says about religion, he says it's proved far and away the most powerful, tenacious, universal, symbolic form humanity has yet come up with. What other symbolic form has managed to forge such direct links between the most absolute and universal truths and the everyday practices of countless millions of men and women? What other way of life has brought the most rarefied of ideas and the most palpable of human realities into such intimate relationship? Religious faith has established a hotline from personal interiority to transcendent authority, an achievement upon which the advocates of culture can only gaze with envy. So that's from page, oh, I forgot to put the page number down. It's in that book somewhere. Um, but I think 
this volume on Bart gets right at that point where the personal interiority and the transcendent authority kind of overlap or tangentially intersect in Bart's theology. And so I think it's, it can be a real fund um, to demonstrate how Bart's theology remains intensely relevant for the Christian life today. Mm. Yeah. Um, and I, I've seen that like when I was reading your book, um, it comes out in sermons and his sermons in particular, um, the, and particularly like the repetition of certain ideas or themes or just a phrase. I see that as, um, spiritual and Travis, like you, I don't consider myself like I write about mysticism and I'm not necessarily a mystic, but it fascinates me. Uh, and what I appreciate about your all's method methodology is that you are kind of taking these things that are, I don't want to say they're subversive, but they're hidden. Yeah. The hidden parts of art, but interpreting them in a new light in a way that is uh, meaningful for today and and connects with the mission of the series of the um, classics but I'm wondering as you imagine a reader and as you imagine your audience what do they look like who is the ideal reader for this book like who do you want to read this book and then um for those Bardians who may be um fans of the dogmatics like what are what should they expect when they read this book about spirituality <laughs> Hmm. My kind of answer to this question, my the shape that the ideal reader of this book has had in my mind has really come into focus more for me since it's actually been out than I ever had going in. Ash, has that been your experience or did you have a real clear motivating vision of the readers as we entered the project? Uh, no, I didn't actually, but I think I've, yeah, I could imagine at least three different sets of audiences actually. Um, for the book. I think, um, I suppose you, it would be nice if the Bart scholars of the world read the book <laughs> <laughs> and engaged with its arguments to make, you know, the weird idea that Bart could have something to say to traditions of spirituality um, a little bit less weird, I suppose. And you could think about that in a little bit more of a subversive way also to, um, you know, Bart, Bart's always read within a certain framework, right? And and for a long time, you know, the, there was the dominant, very dominant hold of the Trinity election debate, right, in Bart studies. And that was one way through which, you know, Bart's, everything Bart said was read. Um, and, you know, maybe this might be an opportunity to kind of diversify the frames through which you come at Bart. Um, and, you know, as you look down the table of contents in the book, some of these things might not really think, you might not think that they have much to do with spirituality. And that's yeah. one of the things that we say. So, you know, what happens if you come at, you know, classical doctrine, uh, classical Bart themes uh, from a different perspective and a different framework and, and see, you know, whether Bart looks a little bit different. So um, maybe it might provoke some new conversations within Bart studies. Uh, but then we wanted, you know, Christian spirituality type uh, scholars and people to engage with Bart as someone who might usefully have some interesting things to say to that tradition. Um, and um, I suppose we wanted, um, I don't know, maybe some of the enemies of Bart, you know, very aware <laughs> that Bart's a bit of a, do you, you guys have Marmite over there? Do you have Marmite? It's no. like, a, 
I mean, it's, we've probably been, it's not widespread, get it? Yeah, spread. it's like, a, it's like a, a something you put on your toast. And, okay. you know, <laughs> they say you either love Marmite or hate it. And um, Bart's the kind of similarly de decisive, divisive sort of uh, figure. Um, so maybe it might be, you know, a way of um, modeling, you know, um, a different sort of engagement, a different way of reading Bart to those who might not ordinarily go to Bart. Um, for um, theological or spiritual sustenance. I, then, I appreciated yeah. your comment about the table of contents there, Ash, because, I mean, if you, if you skim the table of contents, I think that you and I are um, playing a little bit of a cheeky game on two sides <laughs> in the sense of um, giving people a different lens of Bart to people who may think that they know Bart really well, um, but also we're kind of playing a little bit with the spiritual tradition as well. Um, from the perspective of Bart's theology. So um, getting up to shenanigans in the table of contents and helping people rethink what falls into these categories of both Bart and spirituality. Um, I've got a different audience that has yes. emerged more and more in my mind the more I think about this volume and hold it and flip through it. I think that this might be one of the better intro to Bart texts that we've got on offer, just in general as a teaching tool right now. And so, you know, there's an old intro to Bart text that Golvitzer put together back in the 50s. Um, it's primarily excerpts from CD, but CD wasn't done. I like it because of Golvitzer's intro essay, you know, that, that resonates with me and I'm, I'm always keen to read Golvitzer, but it was incomplete and it's old at this point. And there's lots more to Barth than just the CD as we've tried to um, include in this volume. Keith Johnson um, has recently published another intro and I haven't looked through it thoroughly, but my impression is that his ideal reader is a theological student as such, um, teaching theology as a discipline and teaching Bart's theology within that context. What I think this volume can do, the, the Bart Spiritual Writings volume that Ash and I have put together, is be the introduction to Bart's theology for pastoral education, like training pastoral candidates. If you need to, if you, if you want to teach Bart to folks who are going to go in the ministry, I honestly believe that this book is probably where you want to start um, because precisely because it has that where the rubber meets the road quality. It, it brings all the wealth of the thousands of pages of Bart's theological thought and focuses it in those moments of the life of the church and of the individual spiritual life and engagement with the world around that are going to be most critical for folks going into the ministry. Um, baptism, uh, how do you think about the church's witness? How do you engage politically? What's the, um, the dogmatics, the theological vision that feeds into this kind of approach? And I really think that um, it can be highly valuable in that environment. For the longest time, and if folks wanna look up my blog and see how many years it's been or decades at this point, I've always been an advocate of people starting with Bart's evangelical theology when they read Bart. And I agree with that, Travis. I go to the same place. Yeah, and it's because, and we talk about this in our mm -hmm. intro a little bit, Ash, mm -hmm. we referenced that book. I think it's the, the beginning of the second session section of the intro. Yeah. Um, there's something about that volume where the 
kind of timbre or the, the texture of Bart's way of being as a theologian comes through. And another way to describe that, if we want to play with words a little bit, the spirituality of Bart's theology comes through, the unique character of it and his approach. And I think that this volume can function in very much the same way, but it has a broader scope than Bart himself in that volume, and it can serve as a window into the larger corpus of Bart's writings in a way that his little intro to evangelical theology cannot. But Ash, you mentioned the Trinity and election debate. Sorry. <laughs> well, as I was putting my thoughts together for this conversation and flipping through the table of contents, I realized that we don't have a section on election. And I, I went back through my memory and I'm like, did we do this on purpose? <laughs> because it doesn't, in, in a sense, it doesn't make sense not to have it because, you know, Bart calls election the sum of the gospel. If we're going to think about the proclaimed word and a word-oriented spirituality like George talks about in the foreword, I mean, you would think that we need something in there about election. The third paragraph on election and the individual is rich with um, expressions of the, the overwhelming divine love that seeks us out and finds us and pulls us in that we could have drawn on very easily, but we didn't. <laughs> and I don't know if it was just subconsciously we wanted to stay away from that and take a different approach. Or do you have any thoughts on how we managed to, to not include that? No, I'm, I'm quite proud of that, you know, to produce a Bart <laughs> book without, I don't think we even, it would be interesting to search through to see if we even mention election. You at do, all. you we do. do. Oh, we do, do we? Um, not a lot, but I, in relation to Calvin, and I can't remember what word it is, but um, you do mention election, um, and that is fascinating. Um, as Reformed, are you both are in the Reformed tradition, right? Like, what do you well, make of that? I, I'm just a I'm just a simple Bible believing Anglican, you know. That's, <laughs> that's, that's that's my tradition. Um, One or two of the thirty nine articles are reformed, aren't they? Yeah, well, you know, that's another that's another podcast. <laughs> that's fascinating. Yeah. That so um, that's fascinating. Ash, why are you proud of that? Um, well, uh, I, I kind of do. I, di I didn't get into the Trinity and election thing, um, partly because I don't think I fully understood <laughs> what was going on. Um, I think secondly, I couldn't keep up with the literature. Um, thirdly, it was it was the dominating frame um, through which, as I said earlier on, Bart was read. Uh, maybe not so now, but certainly when I was doing my PhD. Um, and um, I think it is just what I, I do still think it's a frame. It's one way of seeing things. It's a bit like, um, uh, I don't know if you know this book, uh, but here's another one of my uh, doctoral friends. Um, we were both studying together in Cambridge, uh, uh, Jonathan Toibner, and he's got this book on Augustine and prayer. And he says, you know, the whole of the Augustinian tradition is read so often through the Augustine plagius thing, yes. which has a really profound impact on how you read Augustine. Uh, mm -hmm. But what happens if you don't do that? <laughs> you know, what <laughs> happens if you if you shift things? Um, and you know, all, all all sorts of good stuff comes from that. So I think I yes, I'm proud that we didn't include it. Kind of maybe proud is not the right word, but I am very curious because I don't recall Travis. Maybe you do. Us actually thinking 
should we um should we include something and moreover you know because we sent this out to at various points to to you know a community of bart scholars who shall remain uh nameless but might be mentioned in the we don't want them <laughs> we don't want to blame them for any of our interesting choices yeah but i don't think it came up saying and one of the questions was like you know what do you think's missing and i can't recall anyone saying oh what what are you doing you you, you crazy people Where, where's the election stuff um mm. so yeah i don't know i'm not shifting the blame there but it is <laughs> it is a really curious thing that i hadn't really realized actually until you'd you'd mentioned it that yeah i just i just realized that when i was getting my thoughts together as i said i've been thinking about it ever since and you know i've, I've got the receipts and i didn't find anything i don't think we had a discussion about this as a as a conscious decision mm -hmm. um so i had a i had a different location for um the trinity and election debates uh, being at pts at their heyday um and you know George, who kindly wrote the, the forward for us, was my doctor of honor, but my second reader was Bruce McCormick on my dissertation. And um, I kind of made it a point to not engage with that debate in any kind of formal way. Um, so maybe that, that reflex just held itself over for me. And for different reasons, we both kind of had blinders onto that piece. Um, I don't know, for good or for ill, it's, it's what we did. And um, I don't think it's a, a critical failure for the volume by any means, but it will certainly give people, some people, a different look at BART than perhaps they've had if they've had their, their formation and understanding of BART deeply within that, that debate. So it kind of well, um, takes a different approach, as we've said. Yeah, mm. Travis, you mentioned that this is helpful for pastors and as somebody who preaches, um, semi-regularly I could see why you would say that I'm like oh you know when he's talking about the Lord's Prayer when I preach or teach on it I can use that and I can use some of those especially the church and the community the community of faith one um, section would be helpful for my own context so what is your all's favorite part of the book and why well my, my favorite thing about the book is that it's done well, I mean, the, all good books are done. But like, what is it? A good dissertation is a done dissertation. A good, a good well, it, partying book is a done partying it book. It spanned seven years. Yeah. This project, yeah. right? From December 2016 till it, what month did it come out at? Did we get our copies in May? Yeah, only very recently. Yeah, my, mine are still in the, in the packaging. Yeah. So, wow. And it was originally supposed to be out in time for the fall 21 AAR. Mm -hmm. and it kept getting bumped and at one point we learned that partly that was due to a worldwide paper shortage and the publisher was having trouble sourcing the paper necessary to get it into print and so um, if you look at the published date like on Amazon or something like that it says February 2022 <laughs> but it was not out until um, a few months after that so it's been a, a a longer process than it might otherwise have been had the global pandemic not intervened but I'm thrilled that it's done and that's probably my favorite thing about it. Mm. it it didn't actually feel like it took that long Travis uh when you say seven years and no. I think we did we always kind of approached the book as something that we'd keep ticking over right and we didn't want it to be a source of stress you know right. in the midst of just general busyness and then worldwide bleakness you know we didn't want <laughs> it we didn't we didn't want it to kind of 
um, take over in that sense. So it was a quite, it was a nicely paid, it was an enjoyable thing to do, you know, and it, it, it took a very long time to do, but it was an enjoyable process. Um, but I think, yeah, my favourite sections, I mean, I still think Bart said his best in towards the end, right? Um, so the ethics of reconciliation stuff. And I think, Travis, you just did a really cracking job with the uh, kind of the, the, the final section of the book, which draws from, you know, the lordless powers material and um, other bits from the ethics. And I think, you know, that's that's part of the reason why I wanted to partner with you from the start, because I knew you'd you know, been working on your your uh, socialism stuff. And I thought, you know, if you're going to do Bart's spirituality, it, it's got to take seriously that strand of it. You know, that's such a distinctive part of who Bart was and where his um, kind of priorities um, were. Mm -hmm. um, so, uh, but but as we said, yeah, it's the kind of ethics of reconciliation stuff for me, um, and also the sections from the Evangelical Theology book. Yeah. I think basically you could have picked up any of the chapters in that book. Yeah. And, and used it. And, and I do just, remember us having a, a lot of conversation about which ones to include from yeah. that volume, yeah. Yeah, and yeah, I, th I don't know. I, I, I'd be interested in, in your reflections as to why that that material just works so well, I think. Um, but I don't know, maybe just Bart's kind of settled into something, right? And I think, you know, towards the end of his life, he is beginning to kind of take hold of his legacy you know how is he going to be remembered and I think it's a really significant and suggestive thing that he didn't pick up where his lectures left off you know with the ethics of reconciliation and finishing you know the petitions of the Lord's yeah. Prayer for example which I would have loved him to have finished um, or got further than what is it the second petition or, or whatever um, but he, cho he chooses to go back and do an intro to Christian theology mm -hmm. uh, set of lectures you know theology 101 what is it after all this time that he could say and i think his 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 vision is 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 really compelling not least because it's it's really affectively driven you know uh, and that's a real shift in 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 bart's thinking i think you know this is the one this is the guy who no one thinks has a spirituality and everyone thinks that He's got no space for the affections or experience, but you don't really get that sense with the with the evangelical theology book. It's it's it fires in all cylinders and is is in a sense a deeply moving um, book to read. Um, and even some of the chapters themselves display some of that affective kind of energy. Wonder, you know, mm -hmm. one of the chapters. It's just like that's such a surprise um, given the Bart of you know the dogmatics and earlier bits of Bart. So, um, yeah, I'm sure others have got more articulate things to say about why it is that that's quite compelling, um, the evangelical theology stuff. But it's, it's those sections which I, I think warm, warm my heart in strange and curious ways. <laughs> that sounds very Wesleyan. <laughs> so, Travis, did you want to add anything to that? Yeah, I'm, I'm really happy. And we sort of stumbled into it, but we stumbled into it intentionally as the table of contents evolved, but the way that we have it set up in each part of the volume, it begins with a sermon and ends with a prayer, right? Or yeah, begins with a sermon and ends with a prayer. Begins, begins with, with a prayer, prayer and ends with a sermon. sermon. <laughs> <laughs> it's been so long since, it took so long to get into print, we're lo I'm losing memory of it, but um, bringing those pieces in in that kind of intentional way so that yes, there's a lot of, church dogmatics in this text, although there's lots of other things too. Yes, there's a lot of theological genre text, 
there's other stuff. And I really like that we fell into that framing structure where we have in each part, in each kind of thematic section, these prayers and these sermons <clears throat> that contribute to the framework of what's happening in those sections. So I think that's um, even just as examples of, again, where the rubber meets the road for Bart as he actually engaged with the spiritual tradition, maybe not textually, but practically, mm -hmm. right, by actually producing um, that text. I think that's, that's a nice part uh, of the volume that I'm, that I'm happy about. Obviously, I'm um, fond of the sections, uh, the section on baptism that's in there. Um, ha having written a whole book on the subject, it's always <laughs> nice to revisit. Um, I'm a big fan of Church Dogmatics 4 in general. So there are a couple sections um, in the text or in the volume from Church Dogmatics 4 Part 3, which is probably my favorite um, section of the whole church dogmatics. So those are great to have in there. Um, but again, like, like Ash said, that last part, the bit on Barth's politics as it intersects with spirituality was on my radar um, from the start of the project. As I mentioned, it's one of those first two questions that I asked Ash. Yeah. Um, and as we were getting this project going, I was finishing up my volume on Golvitzer and political theology effectively in Goldwitzer. So that was at the forefront of my mind. And if I had to pick a single text, I think it would be the one um, from Christian Community and Civil Community, which is a well-known essay from Bart, but it kind of sums up what I'm hoping this section um, will do in a broader conversation about spirituality and, and political theology. And let me, I just want to read this quote. It's kind of riffing on Matthew 5. Um, Bart says, it's a bad sign when Christians are frightened by, quote, political sermons. As if Christian preaching could be anything but political. And if it were not political, how would it show that it is the salt and light of the world? The Christian church that is aware of its political responsibility will demand the political preaching and it will interpret it politically, even if it contains no direct reference to politics. Mm. I think that is true for the whole church dogmatics and all of Barth's theology, no matter what topic it is, um, it needs to be interpreted politically. And so I'm, I'm hopeful that this section helps with that task of reading Bart in a political direction and understanding that spirituality is not about disengaging from the world, but about engaging with the world in a different and a transformed way. Um, Jack Rogers, an American theologian and church historian, has what he calls the doctrine of the church's spirituality. And I engage with this a bit in my Goldwitzer book, but the way he's using that term is the idea that the church should be detached from and float above politics somehow. And he traces how this really becomes a dominant idea in American culture in connection with the Civil War and the arguments in the church about racism and slavery and all of this kind of stuff. So um, I want to, to develop a different idea of the church's spirituality that doesn't involve disconnecting from politics, but re-engaging with it in a um, transformative kind of way that's oriented toward justice. So mm. I'm, I'm very happy about how that section came together as we worked on it as a team and, and hopefully folks will um, take something positive away from it. Yeah, the okay. end, oh, go Sorry. ahead. 
could I just flip the question around? What what do you think? You know, you've you've spent a bit of time with the book, and to put you on the spot, you know, oh. well, which which of the sections do you think um, were you, you most attracted to? Do you think? Um, probably the politics section, but also I found it interesting the spiritual, the sanctification or sainthood piece mm. out of all of them. Um, and the way he describes sanctification, and I, I've worked a lot with sanctification um, and connecting it to theosis or deification through the lens of uh, medieval mystics, but also 19th century Black women preachers. But the notion of sanctification for him as a communal piece was fascinating to me. Um, and then that he even, you know, like he talked about particularity and universality in relation to that Jesus, Jesus's holiness, and I'm riffing, I'm, I hope I get this right, is particular to, um, you know, but is kind of conferred among the, the Christians, but there's like this, this interesting dynamic, so to speak, um, that Jesus like confers his holiness through justification, um, but yet it's not just to an individual person. It's just not me and I, but it's to the community. So it could have really been, well, it could have been the Christian life or the Christian community. It could have been in that mm. section. But I thought um, sometimes in mysticism and spiritual practices in particular, uh, the notion of sanctification or spiritual practice is so individual. And what I appreciated about Bart and about that section in particular is that it, it's it's always, it's always a communal practice for him. And I think that goes back into Travis's um, insistence on uh, the church's political and will be interpreted politically. Like it's not, it's never for Bart, at least how I'm seeing, how I read you all, your all's interpretation, but it's not about like a me and God thing, but it's about the community and the community can be a site, or the church in particular can be a site of resistance, um, a site of holiness, um, a site where we can identify idols in our world. Mm. So yeah, no, that's bang on the money, Kate. And you know that very much that sensibility of Bart there, which is present throughout his writings, uh, kind of filtered through to structure the volume that we put together because mm -hmm. it, it starts off after the dogmatic section with 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 the community you know we were like yeah. that, that does need to come first you know to be true to what Bart whatever Bart's doing with spirituality is is it's got to start and begin there um and only from there leads to reflections on what it might mean for an individual Christian um to uh, inhabit this um strange bizarre world um but it does begin there in in in, in sort of um context of the Christian community which for Bart by and large means the church, but also beyond the life of the church. Yes. I think one of the things yes. that you might, one of the things that you could take away from the book is, um, you know, what does, what's what's primarily spirituality about for Bar? And I think it is largely about, you know, this idea of receptivity, about receiving yes. from, from God, something about what it means to live lives which are fully alive. But as, as part of that, it also means kind of, playing with that theme of receptivity to extend it to 
be receptive to other voices who have come to think about God differently or come to pray to God differently to the way that I might pray or think about God and to be deeply hospitable to those other ways of thinking about God as a way of interrupting and challenging and complexifying and making just a little bit wiser uh, otherwise kind of fumbling around in the dark when it comes to try to speak about God so you know that's probably about sorry that nearly got very pious there in ways <laughs> uncharacteristic <laughs> but yeah be careful but I think you know maybe that's part of the training this book doesn't train you to pray but it might train you in patterns of reasoning which yeah. are hospitable to alternative ways about thinking about God you know and I think that's that's not a bad place to be after reading the book and it, it'll teach you the point of praying right mm -hmm. or the the purpose for which you pray and I feel like that's how Bart's theology addresses these kinds of topics over and over again whether it's you know what should a church service look like or you know mm. exactly what rituals should you use in connection with x y or z he isn't particularly interested in that he wants folks to understand you know all of those questions aside what's the point of what we're doing here what's the point of yeah. this existence of the christian community in the world and after that my personal read is you know anything that furthers that mission is fair game um, and that's for us to figure out exactly how to how to put these things into practice in all of our individual times and places yeah. um but yeah bar's theology always moves in the pattern jesus community and then the rest of us as individuals and how we fit in to that structure, which, you know, as a callback, coincidentally, is exactly how he structures the three paragraphs on election. Oh, right. <laughs> Done it. An individual. Um, but Kate, I'm glad you, you highlighted the sainthood section because, you know, each section in the volume has a little introductory note, mm -hmm. um, tries to situate it within Barth's larger corpus and the theological tradition. And I think, for my part, these were more, more fun to write than just the introduction <laughs> was um, to dig in and, and think through what's happening in each section and say something meaningful about it to contextualize it in a very brief space. And it's it's kind of a shame. I understand why it had to happen, but it's kind of a shame that these got turned into part end notes as opposed to being right there um, with the section. But the note for the sainthood section has one of the better lines that I think Ash and I produced in this book. And to me, it sounds like Ash. I don't know if you want to take credit for it, but it says this in the, um, in the note. It's worth noting that the central theme of CD 4.2, the exaltation of man, constitutes a variation played on one of the most prominent motifs found throughout the history of Christian spirituality, the ascent of the soul. And now here's the good bit. I dropped down a little bit. Bart, being Bart, <laughs> puts a characteristic twist on the familiar story of the ascent of the soul. And that, I think, explains how you can write a book about Bart's spiritual writings. I mean, you read some of this dogmatic content and you, you don't necessarily think anything particularly, quote unquote, spiritual is happening. But you take a step back and think about how it intersects with some of these other Christian traditions of reflection. And I mean, he's, he's playing creative motifs on this stuff and riffing on it left mm. and right mm. yeah. well, i have no memory of writing that but i'll gladly take credit <laughs> <laughs> so um travis you mentioned politics and um i'll ask you both the fav your favorite text selection of the book and why 
So Ash, I'll let you prepare. And Travis is, is, a, is connected to politics, but why were you so, so insistent on politics? And how do you see this affecting our present moment today? If I had a good answer to the last piece of that, <laughs> I was just gonna, how could this affect the present moment today? Then um, I don't know what, but world would be different. Yeah. Um, I'm not sure the present moment is so complex and so fraught um, that it's easy to despair in it. Mm -hmm. At the same time, um, as somebody who's been trained in church history, take a step back. And on the other hand, it's always like this. <laughs> and, <laughs> and all we can ever do um, as Christians and as, as Christian thinkers um, is grapple with the present that we've, we've been given. And I think that that grappling is something that has to happen um, for each one as an individual and for each one as a member of a larger um, community of conversation. So I, I would hate to foreclose on it. I think the more local we can focus in those conversations, the more opportunity there is for gaining common ground. Mm -hmm. um, across uh, our communities and different shapes our communities take. Um, but I think, in, and this is in my, my notes that I've prepared for the conversation, so maybe that's why you knew to ask this question, Kate, but um, there's one text that came from a recently published volume of Bart's end of life conversations, the Gesprache in the Gesamtesgabe, um, for those who care about the German words. Um, to track down where this stuff came from. But it's on totalitarianism. And the thing that I really appreciate this about this section, and I, I'm not done pondering it, like I don't know exactly what to make of it yet, but it seems highly suggestive to me. The basic point that Bart makes is that all human life has totalitarian tendencies. And there's, ju there's just something about the nature of human life, its fallenness or its finiteness or the combination of the two that produces totalitarian tendencies. And that goes for democracy as well in Bart's mind. Um, I'll, I'll read the quote. So this is in, in our book, in the Spiritual Writings book, it's page 244 to 45. The church knows that all the totali totalities of the world and society and also of the state are actually false gods and therefore lies. In the end, you don't have to be afraid of lies. And in the church, one can know that. Whenever the church takes these lies seriously, then it is lost. With all calmness and in all peace, it must treat them as lies. And the more that the church lives in humility and knows that we too are only human and there are also many lies in us, then it will also know all the more surely that God sits in governance over and against the lies that are in us and over against the lies in the world and in the state and wherever else they may be. And in that case, the church, regardless of the circumstances and no matter how entangled and difficult the situation, remains at its task and knows itself to be forbidden to fear for its future. Its future is the Lord. He, not the totalitarian state, is coming to the church. 
And I think one of the things that really appeals to me about this quote is the way that it takes up the reform tradition's concern with idolatry. Yes. Um, you could almost go so far as to say that the reform tradition is obsessed with idolatry as a, as a lens through which to view human sin and, and what we all get up to in our lives together in the world. And Bart points out that it's lies. And in the Western world today, uh, we think about how the media functions. Um, there are just lies everywhere. And we have to be able to see through the lies. Um, it reminds me of the he Luther's Heidelberg Catechism, not mm -hmm. Heidelberg, the Heidelberg Disputation. A theologian yes. of the cross calls a thing what it is. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I love how he says, in all peace and with all calmness, you have to call them lies and treat them like lies. You can't yeah. live your life as though these lies are not lies. You have to live as though they are lies. You have to live out the truth of reality, the truth of the situation. So again, exactly what that looks like um, in a particular moment, in a particular place, it's going to have a lot of variation and necessarily so, but we have to call things what they are and we have to recognize the lies and not treat them as total. Yeah. So it looks like he's taking a lot of that theology of the cross. And I've, so this might be a little off, but um, please bear with me and you can delete this later. Uh, <laughs> so what is hope, like does Bart, what is hope for Bart? How does that connect with the resistance of idolatry? Is like hope a part of the spiritual practice? And it's my own, it's coming from my own maybe spirituality at this point. Like, I don't know what hope looks like right now. But when you were reading, I saw, it, you know, the, the church's future and the world's future is the Lord. Um, um, he, not the, the Lord, not the totalitarian state is coming to the church. Like, how is hope figured in that, if at all? So, Ash, maybe we should have included the hope chapter from evangelical theology. Yeah, we should have done. Well, I think we need a second edition already. <laughs> I think so. I mean, we're, we're getting to the, we got to sell this one out first. Um, when I think of hope, and I mm -hmm. think this is consistent with Bart's theology, although I don't know that he ever expressed it this way. But James Cone says that hope is the praxis of the oppressed. Mm. So I would, I would not want to, to say, you know, here's the correct interpretation of what that means. But one of the things that I, one of the things that I think it means, and certainly a way that it resonates for me today, is that um, hope is an action, and it's something that you do. It's something that you live out. It's not an idea that you cling to that lets you disconnect, but it's a, a way of describing a manner of engagement that doesn't give up on how messed up the situation and the society might be, but gets in there and tries to um, fix it in whatever ways possible, small and large, for the better of the human community as a whole, and especially for those who are oppressed by the current situation. Um, so is that how Bart uses it? I mean, not really, because again, um, even <laughs> he tells us that even if it's not explicitly political, we need to read it as political. And my sense is that he just did his work in most of the time, a non-political register, even though it all has political 
connotations, but for Bart on my read, and Ash can, can correct me and, and add to it, um, hope is Jesus. Mm. Hope is the idea that everything that's true about the world now and will be true about the world in the future is um, determined and structured and made meaningful by way of the um, reconciliation between God and humanity that occurs in Jesus Christ and is then shared with all other Christians who um, believe in him already or not yet, as he puts it so often. So hope connects us to the way that the world truly is in God and in Christ so that we don't have to take the world and its current situation and its totalities as final. Mm -hmm. Ash, do you have any thoughts on that or additions? Um, it's just a backtrack a little bit to um, one of the other points, and I'll, I'll try and circle then uh, back to the hope question, but it's, it's around the kind of the, the politics of spirituality um, question that was we, we were just talking through. And this is kind of being said, and I think it's worth just making it a little bit more explicit, that, um, you know, earlier on when we were talking about the everyday nature of Bart's spirituality, I think that also can translate into political terms also, you know, mm -hmm. Bart's, Bart's saying, you know, be almost kind of released from the anxiety of having to fix things, right? Um, that's, you know, that's that's not the calling. That's not mm -hmm. the primary call. If that happens, hey, that's that's great. Um, but it shouldn't be a burden, you know, to think that you've got to fix everything. So he he talks about um, the small steps that need to, need to take place. I think this is in the ethics of reconciliation stuff um, that then kind of corresponds to and is um, incorporated into the kind of big leaps of, you know, God's mission to uh, mission in the world to uh, bring peace and overcome injustice and all of that. So I think he's kind of saying, you know, there's a certain everydayness, right, to all of this. You've got to, you've got to do something, but but don't um, don't fret too much, you know. Um, and take those small, small, small steps that maybe combined, you know, with others um, can snowball into something, something bigger. Um, but nevertheless, there does need to be something, I think. Mm -hmm. um, but the kind of other dimension that I just wanted to pick up, and you get this kind of in Bart, but nowhere near enough um, with enough kind of articulation as I think I would like. If, if, if spirituality is inherently political, right, which I think what Bartlett's want to say, I, I think you also need to match that with the idea, and Kate, you're going to know this, I mean, as someone kind of involved deeply in the life of the church, you know, spiritual practices can be a source for, um, you know, the greatest good in the world, um, but also the deepest damage. Yeah. And <laughs> there is that sense in Bart nearly, but not quite, but he's, he's not he's not thinking of spiritual practice as somehow immune from the dynamics of sin. Mm -hmm. He's not saying, oh, look at this thing, it's perfectly pure, and look how wonderful it is, and look at all the good that it can do. There is that kind of hope in these practices, everyday mm -hmm. things that we do might in some way kind of be made holy, and there is a Christological, pneumatological dynamic going on there. But I think he is, he's kind of realistic and self-critical about um, the role of uh, spiritual practice and maybe they they have the potential you know to cause serious damage to be not part of the solution but the problem um 
And uh, I think if you're thinking about a spirituality, uh, a, a, the political aspects of spirituality, it, it also needs to take account of that, um, mm. that sometimes these things can do damage in the world. And I've got in the back of my mind here, Lauren Winner's work on the dangers mm. of Christian practice, which is yeah. just one of those, I think we cite it in the book as, you know, it, yeah. it is just one of those game changers, yeah. game changing kind of uh, studies for me. Um, and you know, Bart both is vulnerable deeply, I think, to the sorts of dangers that Lauren Winner identifies in that book. Then he, he might also have some resources to offer a response to them. Um, but there is that dimension which I think plays out a little bit in Bart's theology and um, we touch on in the book, but, but should probably be mentioned in the context of any politics of spirituality sort of discussion. Yeah. yeah, thanks. Thanks for including that, Ash. I'm, I'm just reminded of how often Bart says that um, God makes positive use of the Christian community's contributions in spite of themselves. Yeah, so often, <laughs> that feels I mean, very it's, churchy. Well, it's, it's not on the basis of any inherent qualities that makes um, the things that Christians do in the world necessarily better than the things that non-Christians do in the world. Um, yeah. God uses all of it. And and Bart's like Bart's explicit, but also quite subtle in the way he sets that up. And I'm just thinking about um three three Church Dogmatics three three, mm -hmm. where you've got um you know his treatment of I think it's faith obedience then prayer. That's what what is that? That's um fifty four paragraph fifty four I think. Is it? Maybe I've made that up. No, it's paragraph forty nine. Paragraph forty nine. Mm -hmm. I've got it. Uh, and then you you know you go from the very highs of prayer. Um, and turn the page, then comes his treatment of evil. And I think, you know, he's doing something there, right? He's saying you can literally, you know, turn one page and then uh, prayer is is quite literally never far from evil in Bart's imagination. Um, and there's some intentionality there, I think. It's, it's, it's more than a coincidence that he goes from the highs of prayer to the, you know, lows of nothingness. Um, there's a theological claim being made there. What do you think, Travis, do you reckon? I buy it. Yeah. <laughs> Ash, did you, so Travis uh, talked about his favorite um, portion of, or favorite text in the book. Did you have a favorite that really stood out to you? This was one of the real tricky things actually, Kate. Um, the book could have been um, twice as long, um, probably as long as the church dogmatics itself and, and then <laughs> some. Um, and that says something I think about, um, you know, just the way Bart writes, you know, <laughs> He's he writes really well, and I think he's he's most of the time it's a joy to read actually the way he um, expresses himself and mm -hmm. the way he writes, and uh, so so that makes it actually quite difficult to choose a particular section I think. But I am doing a bit of work on glory at the moment, and we've got a couple of uh, sections on glory, and I think yes. you know Bart's Bart's pretty good on glory. I think he's got some uh, fun things to say. Um, and I find actually the way he writes those sections pretty compelling. Um, uh, the way he kind of involves his reader, actually, you kind of get caught up in the drama of it, whether you like it or don't like it. There's, there's a kind of, there's a dramatic energy there, I feel. Mm -hmm. um, and you get that certainly with the uh, glory stuff. Um, but yeah, no, there are loads of, I mean, I suppose that we've kind of cherry picked some of our favorite bits of the church <laughs> dogmatic. So it's like, you know, choosing your favorite favorite child or something or your favorite chocolate it's a, <laughs> it's a difficult thing to do um and your point ash about how bart writes it makes it very hard to excerpt him yeah 
we, yes. we we struggled at times meeting our word count <laughs> and making sure that we could um i don't want to say isolate because the the intention is not to isolate these sections but to to highlight um the bits that we felt made the the greatest contribution to the volume um and and make sure that we could uh feature those in a as holistic a way as we possibly could um knowing that pulling pulling text out of bart's writings is a damaging exercise um mm. in many cases so that was something we struggled with and and, and also travis yeah. you know there's some legalities involved here right because oh. we had x x number of words that we could use yep. capitalism from, you know, It'll yeah from the time. publishers um and we couldn't go over those words and yet yep. we had so much to to choose so there were some really difficult decisions along the way um both kind of you know for theological reasons but yeah. very practical reasons like the fear of being sued <laughs> so, um, so well and that comes to my next question as somebody who's not a bardian scholar and has read snippets i've read evangelical theology but it's been years um how like you mentioned you start with a prayer you end with a sermon do you include dogmatics in each section like specifically with the church dogmatics because it's huge how the heck did you have like did did you figure out which portions to use and bringing that out in a way that would make sense to the to the sections and the heading like like it just like you guys can like say paragraph 54 i'm like whoa but i mean it's a massive it's a massive corpus like and if you include sermons and everything else, Bart just has a massive corpus. Like, besides the prayer and the sermon and then the dogmat, like, how did you figure out what to use? And you said you favored evangelical theology, but like, I, mean, I, I don't think that we ever consciously made a decision to include something from church dogmatics in each part. Um, that said, I'm and without looking at the text list, I'm quite confident that we did, <laughs> just because it's hard hard to avoid the gravitational pull of church dogmatics. But we also made a conscious decision to branch out as much as we could. And you know, we talked about material on election earlier. I don't think that I'm at the point that I would want to say not including something on election is a regret. But one thing that I do regret is that we weren't able for one reason or another, um, to do any fresh translating mm. for this volume. Mm -hmm. um, I, would have, I would have really loved the opportunity to do that. I don't think it um, harms the volume in any way uh, to have used the, the text already in translation. We were able to take a very broad sample of Bart's writings using that means, but I would have really enjoyed getting into some translation. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I'm just conscious that there have been, even since we, Put the volume together and sent off the final proofs you know there is there's there's new energy behind translating texts which have yet to be translated so the um center for bart studies in princeton as, he, as as you know travis you know they're yeah. doing great work um publishing all sorts of stuff that haven't uh, yet been available in english so yeah i mean we had you know some um there's some real complexities in choosing you know making those decisions what to include the torturous decisions of what not to include and what we can't include. And some texts actually were just too expensive to include. Um, so we were, we were kind of precluded from um, including some texts that we might have wanted to, but 
uh, couldn't in the end in, in the end of the day uh, kind of uh, afford it. But I think what we did then try to have to do so um, was to find a way of organizing the volume. Yes. Um, and we've spoken about that a little bit. Um, and in a sense, um, the the volume is organized thematically, um, but also chronologically. So um, the there, there are four themes that we've settled on to kind of give the overall kind of blueprint of the volume. And then within each of those sections, the texts um, uh, unfold chronologically to give kind of both a, a sense of how Bart's own ideas develop over the course of his thinking. And they do, they change, they shift. Yeah. Um, they go into new areas, they kind of reveal new things. Um, but, but also um, there is some kind of thematic um, kind of integrity to the things that Bart says. So we hope, you know, in the kind of structuring of the volume, um, it, it might kind of perform something of Bart's own ideas of, of what spirituality might be. But yeah, I don't, I mean, I don't know about you, Travis, but I, I, I had a fair few sleepless nights, I think, mm. or waking up in the middle of the night thinking, ah, oh, what are we doing? We need to include this text or, yep. you know, that text is great, but, you know, we're going to have to trim it down to, to something. And that trimming down was always a painful experience. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, no, I, I don't, I don't miss those days. I'm just flipping through the permissions pages really quick, just, you know, in addition to church dogmatics and evangelical theology, we've got Epistle to the Romans, the Anselm book, homiletics, credo, um, deliverance to the captives, which is a sermon collection, uh, knowledge of God and service of God, uh, Mozart, all kinds of stuff that we were able to pull in. So mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's, a, it's a broad sampling. Well, it has helped me appreciate Bart on a whole new, um, on a different level than I did when I first encountered his dogmatics. So I, I very much appreciate your work. Uh, one last question for me, um, and it's, it's maybe out of left field, how might Christian socialism is depicted by Bart or is depicted by you all be considered a spiritual endeavor or spiritual practice? Mm. Or is it? Would that be idolatry? So parts of me pull in each direction on that one. Mm -hmm. um, Goldwitzer picks up on a phrase in Bart that talks about um, the political direction and line of the gospel running towards socialism. But that's a very different kind of thing to say than that an idea or a political system and especially a political party or a particular political issue that you slap the word socialism on is somehow where all Christians need to be in a particular time and place. Mm -hmm. um, I think that is definitely a step too far, but I would want to hang on to the claim that in a world um, structured and dominated by a neoliberal form of capitalism, um, if we want to, if we want to look at what are the totalities that govern our lives in the world together today, um, I, I would think that the church could do well to attend to what Bart and Goldwitzer tell us about the direction and line in which we need to look. Mm, yeah. Mm. Good answer. <laughs> <laughs> Ash, do you have anything to add to that? I, I don't have anything to add to what, what Travis said, basically, but I do have a kind of final cheeky question, actually. I wonder if I can throw in and, and you know, use it as a way of 
um, uh, kind of wrapping up. But uh, what, Kate, first to you, you know, and then to Travis, um, you know, what, what, if, if classics of Western spirituality were going to produce another volume, you know, <laughs> who, who would you like to see featured um, in the classics of Western spirituality, given your own research? given uh, your own kind of academic background, you know? Who well, do you given think my own that? research, um, I would love to see American Black women preachers. And um, I mean, that's my own research, but their volume, their volumes are so small and they're on the internet for free that you can read, you know, they're relatively accessible. But in terms of thinking about spirituality and classics and Western spirituality, finding from the, um, from the lesser known traditions of uh, 19th of American black spirituality would be. Hmm. So Sojourner Truth, I describe her as, well, Margaret Washington describes her as an African Dutch mystic hmm. uh, because she, she's um her first language is um dutch she comes she's like born in this reformed tradition but then has this wesleyan thing and then has this african cosmology kind of coming all together and it's just a fascinating blend and then sojourner truth takes it and does her own thing with it and makes it her own so i think that would be fun that would be great um but I don't know. I don't. I would not be the one to edit that. I think Margaret Washington would do a much better job. Uh, Travis, how about you? So uh, with your answer already on the table, because I think um, broadening the traditions represented by the series in that way would be a very smart move. Uh, I want to answer in a similar vein. And unfortunately, the names that I'm going to throw out are all men. But um, that said, I think, there, is there one for MLK Jr.? Because that seems like low-hanging fruit to me. It does seem like low-hanging um, fruit. I, I it's probably know. too soon, but I would personally love to see one on James Cone, yeah. of course. And you know, to give a cheeky answer to a cheeky question, Malcolm X. Mm. Yeah, those would be fun. Oh, yeah, that would be really good. Mm. <sighs> Ash, how about you? Oh, yikes. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I, I, I think Thomas Merton actually deserves one. Um, and would be one. in, I don't think there is, I don't think he has okay. one. Um, and I think, you know, that's, that's a bit of a gap there and would be a really compelling figure to read alongside Bart yeah. um, for all the reasons. And then there's uh, English mystic uh, Evelyn Underhill. Yeah. would be absolutely fantastic. Yeah. Uh, you know, writing around the same time as Bart, going in directions Bart would fear to tread, um, but would be- <laughs> That would in, be wonderful. Would be really interesting, yeah. Um, so, so I hope, you know, the, the volume, so I hope the series does continue and to continue to produce uh, these classics of Western spirituality, and and maybe you know in the future some of the figures that we've mentioned will be uh, part of that series. And also, anybody who wants to work on any of those volumes, feel free to get in touch with me and Ash, and we'll get you in touch with the people at Paulist and make sure that that conversation can begin because um, definitely want to see the series continue and thrive and expand its reach and its um, coverage of the diverse Christian traditions that we have. 
and other religious traditions that we have um, on offer today. I want to thank Ash for being here to talk. Um, Ash, this is the second time that you and I have actually spoken in real time. We did this whole project basically via email and uh, had a great experience with it, but it's, it's good to get a chance to speak with you. Kate, thanks for being here to ask questions and uh, be part of the conversation as well. I certainly appreciate you and your contribution. So thank you both very much for being here. Well, thank you as I'm um, um, not a BART scholar for inviting me into a Bartian conversation. And um, it's helped me appreciate him more. So I appreciate the work you two have done. Thank you so much, Kate. And yeah, good to see you, Travis. I hope to see you again soon. You've been listening to the McCracken cast. I am and hopefully will remain Dr. Travis McMacken. I do all the production work myself, in case you couldn't tell. But the music is by my son, Connor. Until next time, think interesting thoughts.